0: Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be back with you. Uh, last week, um, as a lot of you know, we were suffering for the kingdom in Panama City Beach, Florida. But I, I will say when we, when we were there, this is a little hot if you turn me down on that, um, uh, when we were there, I had the opportunity to, to speak to about 700 college students um, who are going down there to, uh, you know, aim a little bit higher with their vision or life, take in um, a perspective in the Word of God, not just with me, but other folks that were there. And it just, it was kind of cool for me. I just got to say this, it's a weird compliment to share, but I love being in that place and whether it was being with college students and thinking of you all or, or thinking about the reason they were there, which is aiming higher for their life to not just talk about God, but to live it out. It just made me think of you guys. And it was fun for me to go, and I hadn't been to that in a while, and there were several folks I hadn't seen in several years, and to be able to, it was fun to me to be able to tell the story about you and, and to talk about how excited I was to, uh, to be part of this church. In fact, even flying over there, had a conversation with a guy on the plane and, and it, you know, kind of, Gently got to conversations about God. He's like, So, why did you move to Texas? And I, and, and I said, One of many reasons was I love coming to a church uh, that, that wasn't interested in just talking about the stuff that they're doing it. i just telling this guy on the random guy on the plane. We got people here, you know, college students that right now as we speak, we're all over the state of Texas uh, giving back to the lives of children, and we have people that are going to Ukraine and all that. So I just want to say thank you for being the church that you are, that, that I get excited just talking about you where I'm going, and thank you for being the kind of church that uh, it, was, it was easy to come back to. Uh, this is a marker for me. Um, I, I guess it was technical last week, but I wasn't here. It's literally a year since we've joined you. And we are so delighted to be part of a church that has this passion and this history. And, and I'm honored to be just a member of this church, uh, much less to be able to, to join in serving you. So thank you. Just wanted to say, missed you, loved you. And um, and it was nice to be on the beach. Just a little cold. I told people it was cold, but nobody feels bad for me for some reason that we're on the beach there. So it, we're, we are starting a, a new series here. We're excited about the idea of thinking about um, our identity that we are given by God in Christ. And uh, and, and we're, we're talking about this. I don't know if you guys have this yet. I, I put everything off and so I still don't have the real ID. So I won't be able to fly in a year if I don't get on the game or whatever. But I want to think about what is your real identity in a world that tells you a thousand different things about who you are? What's your real identity in Christ? And so we're coming to this, this book of Ephesians. We'll talk more about uh, this series in a moment. But I just want to i want to start just by reading the text we're going to look at here. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 14. It is an expression, just a burst of praise. You'll see God, uh, Paul is just over the top in his praise to God for what we have in Christ. Uh, so let's, uh, let's read the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want you to look at this image. Have you ever felt like this before? (laughs) Have you Ever felt like this little boy on one side of the fence, on the outside of something, looking in, wishing you were a part of that? I think there's all sorts of circumstances of our lives where we find ourselves in this way. In fact, I think there is a longing inside every human heart that always wants, in one sense, more than what we have or where we are right now. There's a longing to be almost somewhere else, anywhere else, than we are in the present moment. And sometimes that longing is negative. Sometimes I would argue that it's actually a positive hint towards something bigger about who we are. Have you ever had that sense of longing? It's interesting to me that sometimes uh, that desire for something different or more comes when things are going badly, but strangely enough, it actually happens sometimes when things are going really well also. There's this longing in the human being that's crying out for something more and something different. There's almost a geographic sense of this. You'll see this ties in with where we're going in the text, but think about it kind of geographically almost a lot of times it's literally the grass is always greener syndrome. We want to be physically somewhere else. I, I was thinking about that longing to be somewhere else is literally how our country was founded. You know, I, I watch a lot of times on the History Channel, there's a, a, a show that's coming up. It's like the, the great battles in American history. And Kelsey Grammer tells the story of a lot of them are of the Revolutionary War. And you think about what is it that took those colonists and, and had them cross the sea to come and found this new land and I know we romanticized some of that and it was different and and there there are dark sides of all of that but there's a picture of it and here's the way I like to think about it it's that longing and for them it was very geographic In, in other words what they were looking for is a country that was big enough for their dreams have you ever thought about it that way our country was founded with people that were longing for a country that was big enough for the dreams and longings that they had Because where they were wasn't big enough. Uh, They didn't have big enough religious freedom. They didn't have a big enough opportunity. They didn't have big enough space even to discover and explore. And they were longing for a country bigger than that. There's a sense in which that's what's behind all of this. And, And I think all of us have that longing too. And we see it rooted here in Scripture. And again, I want to say sometimes that longing for something more or different to be a different place, sometimes it's wrong, and let's call that out. There are times when we're driven by that yearning for something more, and it is nothing but greed and self-indulgence that is driving. Or just a misperception about what reality is. My mom had a saying all the time growing up, and She'll still say it from time to time, but not as much as when a little. She would, she would say, look, be careful not to have a champagne taste on a beer budget. Can you say that in church? It's, a great, it's great wisdom, right? Don't, don't want something or long for something that's out of your position, your station, your ability to get. So there's sometimes that longing isn't appropriate or right because it's driven by greed or self-indulgence or delusion or whatever. But I want to say something about that perhaps is actually right. Maybe there's something in that primal instinct that human beings have to be somewhere else, to go bigger, to want more, that is actually appropriate. And what we need, I think, is someone to come into our lives and to tell us who we really are and what our real longings are. I can't tell you how many times in my life or I've realized that I don't even know what I want sometimes. Have you found that before? Sometimes you think you want this or you have a goal or something and you realize it wasn't about that at all. That was a superficial picture of something much deeper that was driving it. It's helpful to have somebody say, this is what you really want. It's helpful for it to have somebody say, this is who you really are. I remember one of the most powerful small groups that I was a part of was a men's group. And one of the practices we would do from time to time is we'd take a little moment to just kind of go around in the circle and look at each other and say, this is what I see in you. This is the giftedness I see in you. This is, uh, this is the contribution that you make to our group or to the community or the world. You're, you're great at this. And we would call that out in each other. And I'll never forget, we talked about this with one particular guy in the group. And, and in between the week, week, week we met and when we were coming back, he called me up and he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm struggling with what you all said about me because I have a hard time believing it. He said, I do not see myself as that courageous. I don't see myself as that strong. And one of the most important things that we did in that group and that we can do for each other as a church is we came back the next week and we looked him in the eye. And one by one, we each said, this is who you are. You are that courageous and you are that strong in Christ. That's who you are. Now, here's why I'm excited about studying this book of Ephesians. Because what we're doing when we read this book is we're stepping into a conversation between God and his people where God looks them in the eye and looks us in the eye and say, this is who you really are. This is who I created you to be and here's who you really are. And I think in the day and age we find ourselves, it's really important for us to hear that. Have you thought about this in just a couple weeks? People will spend billions of dollars to tell you what you don't have and what you think you need right on Super Bowl Sunday they're going to spend billions of dollars to tell you what you don't have and I think it's pretty important for us to come and say God would you tell us what we do have and who we really are and that's what the book of Ephesians is all about now we're going to be looking at this book for the next several weeks and often when you dive into this um, you know we, we could if we wanted to big, do a big long background and context of the book I don't like doing that. Um, I like to just let the book get there for us. But there are a couple things I want us to recognize before we get started. Two things that might be helpful. First of all, even though it says in our Bibles, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it's actually a regional book and not just one congregation. In fact, the earliest manuscripts that we have of this, here's a way to picture it. It's Paul to the blank. It doesn't even have a name. Some of them have Laodiceans and some have Ephesians. Here's what it is. It's called a circular letter. In other words, it was written to the church in Ephesus, it was also written to the, all the churches in southwestern Asia Minor. Think modern-day Turkey. Here's a way to think about it in our day and age. It might be appropriate to come on any given Sunday and for us to read the word and, and, and speak a message to this local congregation. But, you know, it might also be appropriate from time to time to have someone come and speak not just to churches in Bryan College Station, but can you imagine someone giving a message to the whole Texas Triangle to all the churches in the Texas Triangle. It's a region, so we have some things in common, but it is more spread out than being able to talk about what's going on in one church. Does that make sense? So it's kind of cool that the Ephesian letter is a letter written to the whole triangle, so to speak, of Asia Minor at that time. And you say, what's the big deal about that? Here's what's cool to me about that, is Paul is going to talk globally. He's going to talk big picture about the gospel of Jesus and the promise that we have. In fact, if somebody is kind of new to the faith or you want to kind of get restarted in the faith, this is a great book to dive into. If you want a good, here's kind of Christianity 101, that's a good way. By the way, if anybody ever asked that, I say start with Jesus, so let's start with the Gospels. But this is a a great look in this book. And so we're going to do that. It's a big picture there. Second thing to notice is that when Paul's writing this letter, most of the people, not all of them, but most of the people he's writing to are Gentiles. They are non-Jewish people. In other words, they didn't grow up hearing the stories of the Old Testament and hearing the stories of the faith and knowing the practices of of God for uh, morality and for the community and all of that. And I think in one sense, even though a lot of us here did grow up with those stories, I think that in a lot of ways we are more like the Gentiles and the reason Paul wrote the letter than we may know. Because in their context and day and age, they're struggling between two worlds. They grew up in a culture as Gentiles, being told by the world around them, this is who you are, and here's how to get happy. Right? They've had that their whole life, and they're saturated in it. And it's been poured into them. Here's what makes you happy. Here's what satisfies you. This is who you are. And then they came to Christ. And they're in this brand new faith where God is telling them something else, and they feel that tension. Does it make sense? I feel like we're living in that world. Again, people will spend billions of dollars to tell you what will really make you happy, and it won't. And we feel the tension, and we're living saturated in a culture that will tell you all sorts of things about who you are that just isn't true. So it's good for us to come back and say, all right, God, can you tell us again who we really are and why we're here? Give us, again, those kind of thumbprints of the creator of the universe for us. So that's what we're doing. And again, in this chapter, uh, this section, we looked at, boy, we could, he, Paul says a lot and we could dive into it. So I'm just going to do big picture stuff and pull out a couple themes. Here's one of the reasons, maybe if you read this, I challenge you to go, go try to read what I just read three through 14 and try to do it without having to take a breath. And (laughs) it's like over the top, like Paul's just dumping this stuff out here. Did you know it's supposed to feel that way? He intended to do that. Did you know that the entire verse 3 through 14 that I read is one sentence in Greek? (laughs) Paul is gushing. And he says, I'm going to start, and it's a prayer of praise. I'm going to start by praising God, and I'm going to tell you. You'll notice this happens all the way through the first three chapters. I'm going to tell you who you are at the beginning. And he gushes, and it's over the top. And there's no way we're supposed to be able to get it all. I encourage you to go back and read it devotionally as well. Let the Holy Spirit grab something for you. But I want to pull out a couple of themes that rise to the top. The first one comes in the first two verses that we saw in verse 3 and 4. And and here's what God says about who you are. are. You ready for your identity? Here it is. You are chosen. You're chosen. I think this is so meaningful for any of us. I'm looking at folks who every day of your life you're graded on your performance. Every day. That's not just for you guys, it's for all of us to some degree. And I don't know about you, but I've had lots of settings when I wanted to be in the club or in the group or on the team or whatever, and I didn't get in. I wasn't chosen. could be a relationship, can be a number of things. I remember in high school, I think it was my junior year of high school, me and my buddy Ron, because I was scared to death, I walked up the steps of this girl that I wanted to ask out on a date, and I knocked on the door, and I'm scared to death, and I'm trembling, and I asked her out, and she said no. That was a long walk back to the car. I remember I'm crazy enough to do this. and am looking at my buddy Sean, and you'll laugh when I say this. I tried out for basketball, right, for my high school. We had a big high school. And look at me, right? And I loved the coach. I went and hang out. He loved me. He was a good guy. He was my English teacher. And I think he held me a couple rounds longer before he cut me in the later rounds just to make me feel a little bit better. It doesn't. You know, have you had those moments? Hear this for anybody who has ever felt the sting of rejection and being on the outside. The creator of the universe chose you. He picked you. He said, I want you in my community. I want you on my team, so to speak. And he will talk all throughout this chapter about God's purpose and his pleasure and his will and his program for the universe. And he said, I'm picking you to be on the team of my purpose in the world. That's amazing, isn't it? You were chosen. Now, by the way, I don't know about you, but I can hear good news and I can still turn it to bad news. Have you ever done that before? And I hear this, I'm chosen, I'm picked. And I'll tell you, my struggle in my heart, as soon as I get in a group, do you know what I start getting afraid of? When am I going to get kicked out of it? And I can hear this passage and I can hear God say, Dean, I picked you. And by the way, it's a, it's a plural thing, God picked you all, right? So I chose you. To be included in Christ, and I can hear that, and then I can say, I don't, I don't know if this happens to you, but I'm telling you, throughout my life, I've come in and said, God, are you sure? Or God, are you still there? Like, are you still going to hold on to me? Have I, have I finally done enough to exclude myself and kick me out? Do we do this in a lot of settings? I'll do it in relationships. I look at this incredible woman that said yes to marry me years ago, and I'm still waiting for her to wake up from the delusion and say, okay. That's why it's so important to hear what I'm about to say. Because God didn't just tell you that he chose you. He told you when. And this is so important. Did you catch it? Did anybody catch it? Paul says, verse 3 and 4, God chose you. Does anybody know? Can you say it? Say it. Does anybody? When? When, when? Before the creation of the world. Please don't miss this. This is so important. God picked you and he chose you before he spoke creation into existence. Why is that important? I don't know about you, but all of us have, tend to have some moments or seasons in our life we would give anything to do differently. And failure stares us in the face. And when we screw up or mess up or struggle, it'll pop up again and there'll be that enemy's voice saying, you don't belong, you're excluded. Listen to me, before you ever did, whatever it is you regret, God already said, you're mine. I'm picking you. Isn't that amazing? By the way, sometimes the struggle is the opposite. Some of us spend our lives achieving and overachieving to give ourselves status or comfort or security. Hear me, before the greatest success of your life. That in moments, you're tempted to define yourself by that success. Before you did any of that, God said, you're mine. Isn't that amazing? What is God saying? My choice for you to be included in Christ is not based on your performance. It is based on God's eternal purpose in Christ. And he says, you get included when you trust that. When you believe and you trusted him, you get marked with the Holy Spirit of God and you are mine. And God said, I decided before creation happened, whoever chooses to receive my gift of faith gets in to my team to make a difference in the world. Isn't that astounding? He chose you before the creation of the world. By the way, he didn't just choose you. He chose you for something. He chose you for a purpose. He chose you for a specific purpose in your life and in your world. Next slide, if you're not there yet. I want to look at this in a couple different passages. First, he says, "I chose you," in verse four, "to be holy and blameless."." Now, I don't know about you, I'll read that, and all of a sudden I jump back to performance. "I chose you to be holy." And I'll tell you the first thing, I'm not holy. But understand, he chose you before the creation of the world, before you did whatever seems unholy. He chose you in order to make you holy. That's God's purpose and that powerful. And we also need to remember, I hear that word holy and I think of performance and behavior and all that. Yes, it leads to that. But let's understand that word just means to be set apart for a unique purpose. So in the Old Testament, there were tables and bowls and all sorts of things that were designated to be holy. It doesn't mean they were magic or perfect. It meant they were called out to be unique for a purpose. And so there were certain bowls you didn't eat cereal in. You offered a sacrifice in it. And there were certain tables that you wouldn't have Sunday brunch on. What you would have is the communal meal in the temple of God. And when he said, I chose you before the creation of the world, I chose you to be unique and set apart. Talking to somebody today in CBS, they're they're studying um, Exodus and and they're moving on to Leviticus and Numbers. And some people are like Leviticus, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Go read through the book of Leviticus sometime. And I know it's hard, but one of the things you'll see is there's all sorts of weird laws: wear this, don't wear that; do this, don't do that. And and sometimes we try to make those all like have some huge significant purpose. You know, there's a big picture of it. Here's the point of a lot of Leviticus. Wear different stuff, wear weird stuff, do weird things so that you will stand out from the world around you. (laughs) God said, I want people to be able to walk up and see that you look different and you act different and you dress differently. Now don't go too far with that, but here's the picture. God chose you to be set apart for his great purpose in the world. And what is that? He goes on to tell you. A verse that I quote probably once a month. Go look down. If you are an underliner in your Bible, I strongly encourage you to underline verses 9 and 10 because God tells you his purpose for working in creation. He said, here's my mystery. Paul says, I get to tell the mystery. Here's the mystery. My purpose is to bring all unity to all things in Christ. The purpose of God is not just for you individually to float away to heaven one day. And and boy, the, the end and where we're going with everything is huge in Paul's mind. But it's more than that. The word I love to use all the time Especially you'll see this in Ephesians. The gospel of Jesus Christ is cosmic. The salvation of Jesus is cosmic. He's come to restore everything. The whole world is broken, not just you and me. Now he chose you. Are you ready for this? To participate with God in remaking the world. How about that for an identity in Christ? That's what you've been given. By the way, it's amazing to me sometimes that uh, we will get these like scientific discoveries and we're like, wow, isn't this amazing? And God said it a long time ago, <laughs> right? I'm not talking about the silly things that we'll uh, argue about in the Bible scientifically. I'm talking about like insights into human nature and all that. Here's the thing, I, was, um, I, I learned something a couple years ago from the coach, you know, I do some leadership coaching and consulting and, and, and now I have my own coach and he taught me something and I realized Paul said this years ago this is what we taught and it's actually helpful when you think about this time of the year a lot of us make goals this time of year i know i mentioned this in class but i don't think i've talked about it here so let me share this with you what he taught me is he said think about this and they've done research on this and again god said this a long time ago there's two different kinds of goals there's lots of them but for the sake of this talk there's two two goals that you can think about one is our typical one we use we call them achievement goals what's your achievement goal certain gpa you know, a certain number of, you know, sales in your business or whatever the case may be, certain attendance or whatever you want to do. They're achievement goals. You get there, you've achieved it, you check off the box. But he said a lot of people don't realize there's another kind of goal that's actually much deeper and more important. They're called contribution goals. You know what a contribution goal is? Not just what am I going to achieve, what box am i going to check, what am I going to give to the world? What am I going to offer from my giftedness to the world? Now, here's what science tells us. You don't even have to be a believer Jesus knows. Science tells us that you will be infinitely more satisfied, fulfilled, and even happy if you are driven by contribution goals in your life and not achievement goals. Did you know if all you do is achievement goals, it will often make you even more miserable. You'll check off the box. You're still empty inside. and You're wondering what's going on. Now, science tells us that. But what did Paul say? I chose you before the creation of the world for your life to be a contribution goal to my larger purpose to fix the broken world. Isn't that awesome? And you can do it from whatever major, from whatever stage of life, you get to contribute to the goodness and the restoration of the world in Christ and God's gift. And isn't that amazing? You are chosen for a purpose. Second picture that we get here. I love this. It's got a huge theme throughout this. You know what he says? You are rich. You may not feel rich. You're rich. Or college students or whatever, you're rich. Paul says you are filthy, stinking, spiritually rich. Okay. Uh, three different verses kind of bring this out. What, is, what does he say in verse 3? He said, blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us, are you ready for this? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. The cupboard is not bare spiritually. You have it all already in Christ. And then there's this great language down in verse 7 and 8. I love this. He said, in him, you have redemption. Your value of life comes back. Forgiveness. So even though he picked you before you made the failure, he also came and did something with your failures. You have forgiveness. And then listen to this language. In accordance with the riches of God's grace. And I love this word. You ready for it in verse 8? That he lavished on us. He dumped grace out on you. You are rich, Paul says. I want you to see how unbelievably astronomically rich you are spiritually in Christ by the way here's a way to think about it in their day and age wealth was often connected to physical location geography mattered there it's almost like the old adage for real estate right what's the three most important things for real estate location 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 If you would ask them in in the Roman Empire, what is the most significant thing for wealth and significance? It would often be location, location, location. If you lived in Rome and you were a citizen of Rome, you were it. Or a significant Roman colony like Philippi. Or Ephesus. Ephesus. Do you know Ephesus was called the jewel of Asia Minor? It was like the place to be in the Texas Triangle, which we know is BCS here, but you know, there. It was Ephesus. It was the place to be. It was the most significant thing. And Paul, what he does here in this passage, but also throughout the book. We're just going to tease this a little bit. We'll do more with it later. Paul says, I want to call you to a location. And when you get to that location, you will be astronomically rich. But he says the location isn't Rome. And it's not Ephesus. And by the way, for the Judaizers in there, it's not Jerusalem either. And I would say here today, the the place of greatest wealth, I love Texas. It's not Texas. The place to really experience the abundance that you long for has nothing to do with Washington, D.C. It's not even the United States of America. It's not Jerusalem or Israel for those who want to bank everything on that physical location. You ready for it? Two words. Paul says, here is the location of the riches of God. In Christ. That's where you're rich. In Christ, you have everything already. And When we hear this, we understand Paul isn't talking, obviously, about a geographic location. He is talking about a relational one. And he pours out his heart and his life to say, the closer and closer you get the center of your life to the center of Jesus' life, the richer you get. Because every spiritual blessing, every longing you've ever had is fulfilled in Christ. In other words... Christ and being in relationship with Christ is the country that is big enough for your dreams. It's the only one. There is no other place. There's no physical location. There is no achievement. There is no success. There is no other human being that will give you what you long for. But everything you long for, you will find in Christ. You're rich there beyond your greatest imagination. There's a lot of things he lists there. Let me just point out one just because for me in my life, I've missed out on so much in my life. What does he say in verse 13? He says, you were marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit of God. And he prays in verse 17, a prayer. I wish we could do the prayer. I just encourage you to pray the rest of the chapter. There's a prayer in there. Pray it. This is what he prays. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God of wisdom and revelation that you would receive so that he will open your eyes to see what you already have. Do you know what you have? I know we say this, I struggle, I struggle all week thinking, how do I say this that just doesn't sound like a preacher line? You have the spirit of God in you. Paul says you have the spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead and that power is in y'all's life. It's a plural you. <laughs> You're rich. Jesus said it this way when in in the book of Luke, he said, you know, a father doesn't give junk to their kid. If they ask for something, he'll give it to them. How much more would a good and glorious father give, not just good gifts, does anybody know what it says? will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. You have God in your life. I got a good friend of mine who a week and a half ago called me up and he said, Dean, I know this sounds crazy. I grew up, he's 40, I think, in his 30s, <clears throat> grew up in church my whole life. And I did not realize until this week That I can, I'm struggling or I'm looking for certainty or I'm looking for direction in my life. I can actually ask for the Holy Spirit to help me in that moment. And he will. (laughs) Maybe not always immediately or the way I want to, but the Holy Spirit of the resurrected Christ is here. He said, I talked about that before, but I didn't pay attention to it. I grew up thinking the Holy Spirit was a retired author and he's living off his best-selling book. spirit is in us you're rich now here's the thing i say i've realized again and again i used to think the gifts of god are all the things i can list spiritual gifts and people that i love and community and forgiveness all that hear me the gift is not the stuff the gift is god himself that's the gift i got an experience of this years ago and as soon as i say this you've had your own experience like this right I had just moved from Lubbock to, um, to Nashville, and we didn't know a lot of places. We didn't know a lot of people. There's a guy that became a dear mentor in my life. He's since gone home to Jesus. I love him so much. His name's Paul Dillingham. And one of his many ministries is from time to time, he would take this new clueless guy out to lunch. <laughs> and he would introduce me to different places, and he'd tell me stories and stuff. And one, one week, he took me to the Vanderbilt Club. Uh, you know the story of the Vanderbilts, right? The wealthiest family. In America, when they were here, the father and the son, Cornelius, and his son were the wealthiest Americans alive when they were alive at that time. So can you, can you imagine what the Vanderbilt Club was like? I had never been there before. I don't belong in such a place. I climbed up in Paul's truck and he drove me there and we walked in and they knew and loved him and brought him in. We sat down at this table. The food was amazing. The people were incredible. Now hear me though. He paid for the meal but the grace that he gave me was not the meal. What was the grace? You know it. The grace was Paul. And he told me stories about how God used him in mission work and all that kind of stuff. He told me a story he didn't tell to a whole bunch of people, but how God miraculously saved him and his wife when Muslim and Turgis were coming to kill them. And he told testimonies of the life of God, and I miss him today because the gift was Paul, not the meal. And I was thinking about that, and, and you guys know that. I was thinking about you, Kelly. You know, how many people, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many people have gone to the Davidson's house for, for a meal, right? Isn't it amazing? We went, we went a few weeks ago, and what blows me away, Sarah is an unbelievable cook. You know this, right? She made bacon better. How did you do that? <laughs> like, bacon's good enough on its own, like, right? channel your Jim Gaffigan goes. She, she made bacon better. Everything I've ever eaten, I, you, I love it, Kelly. But you know what the gift is. The Davidson house is not the meal. It's you. Now hear me. God gives you all sorts of stuff. But the gift isn't the stuff. The gift is God. And you have him. The Holy Spirit of God. You are rich beyond your wildest dreams. What are you going to do with that? Are you ready for the staggering line? And we'll wrap this up. God says... The gift of my spirit is my deposit. It's my down payment on the inheritance you receive in Christ. Oh, fancy, crazy language, right? So think about this. Years ago, we went to a wedding. Dear friend of ours, one of our students, we went to the wedding. I want you to picture this. You can imagine the kind of wedding it was when you realize that, first of all, uh, the man, the father of the bride great businessman, very wealthy man, and the bride was his only daughter. (laughs) You get a picture of the kind of wedding? Beautiful, lavish ceremony. It was incredible. It was wonderful. And, you know, I was a little younger then and less mature, and I'm not mature now, but me and one of my best friends were there. Melly was there. She was mature, but uh, me and Andy were not. And we went in, and we were hungry. We hadn't eaten. And I'm just telling you, we were pretty fired up about the reception. We didn't know. We're just saying, this guy, only daughter, I can only imagine, how, and, and it didn't disappoint. We came in, and there were trays, and it was like, it was like fresh shrimp with all the stuff you dip it in. There was uh, these incredible, um, uh, uh, like, uh, gourmet wings. Yeah, and some people bring out, like, punch that, like, they threw together in the background. I mean, this stuff was amazing. It was incredible. And confession moment, we loaded those plates up. I'm just telling you, we were hungry. You couldn't see it. We stacked these jokers up, and we're eating, and we're just kind of sitting there. And then all of a sudden, we noticed the wait staff came in, and they started taking the trays away. Like, that's really weird. Now, by the way, we weren't going to be hurting. The plate could have fed us for a couple of days. But something about the principal thing, like, you know, it could be long, and we might want to go back to the table. And we were like, what's going on? And then they came back, and they brought more trays of prime rib. And chicken and these fancy potatoes, and the whole dessert table in addition to the cake and all that stuff. Do you realize what we had done? We loaded our plate up with what? Appetizers, (laughs) having no idea that the full meal was to come. Thought experiment for me, for you, and we're finished here. I want you for a moment to think about the most glorious, incredible. God moment you've ever had. If you're just joining us and you're not in Christ, you are welcome here. You don't know this God thing. So it may be the best spiritual experience you've ever had. What is the best wonder moment, joy moment, life and light and purpose and hope moment you've ever experienced? Might be in creation, might be in a relationship, might be in some group experience. What is the greatest God moment you've ever experienced? Do you have a picture of it? It's the appetizer. It's just the appetizer. God says, I've given you a deposit. It's a down payment. You haven't seen the vault of God yet. You are extravagantly rich in Christ for the purpose of God. That is your real identity. You are here to receive it and to share it. And that is the only country big enough for your dreams. Father God, we like Paul give you praise and I love it when there's these places in scripture even an inspired apostle can't come up with the words to say you are astounding to us. Your goodness and your graciousness and your purpose and your love and life. So Father, we pray what Paul prayed in the second half of this chapter. Would you give us More of your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to what you've already given us so that we don't get trapped with all of the things that are just second best but aren't anything close to what you intended us for. Open our eyes, open our hands to receive it, God, and then compel our hearts to then share it because we will never give more than you will pour into our lives. Father, let us continue to grow deeper and to be a church that is passionate about your mission To restore a broken world. In the glorious resurrected name of Jesus we pray.